0: Welcome, welcome again to another rendition of Welcome to Fatherhood Energy. My name is Sir Royce Realis, and I'm with my prestigious co-host, Dr. Ryan Young. How's it going, my brother? Oh, everything's well, man. How things are your end? Oh man, no complaints over here, man. It's, it's lovely in Chicago around this time of year. <laughs> so I'm also pleased to uh, show, showcase a few special guests that we have here. Uh we have two people on the podcast today. This is a very special rendition. We have Jeff and Brian Becker. How you gentlemen doing tonight?
1: Great. Man. Yeah, we're good. We when we found out about Welcome to Fatherhood, we're like, wow, we'd love to connect with you guys. And so we're excited to be able to have a conversation with both of you.
0: Man, likewise, the feelings mutual. So uh, without further ado, can you guys tell me uh, you know, uh, how many kids you got, what are their ages and also What do you do for a living or for a purpose?
1: Yeah. So uh, this is Brian. Um, I'm uh, the dad. Jeff is my son. Uh, I have one son and one daughter. Um, They're both married and they both have one child. So I have a granddaughter and a grandson. And uh, for a living, I'm self-employed. I'm a consultant. I work primarily with nonprofit groups on planning and how do they strengthen their leadership groups and... uh, I do executive, executive coaching. And um, I really think about what I do is trying to walk alongside people to help them rewrite their story ending so they're more powerful, they're more meaningful, they're more filled with hope. And so whether that's on individual level or organizational level, that's how I see the work that I do. And I'm an author <laughs> and an author with Jeff
2: yes and i'm uh jeff becker co-author and son um and i am a new father uh me and my wife live out in scottsdale arizona now um to 75 and sunny i'll put that in there for you guys still in chicago um but yeah so our, our son is seven months old so we are i want to learn from you guys and um you, you hear every emotion that you guys know but um a profession for purpose. I am we were entitled a mental performance coach. I've been in the basketball world my whole life, uh, from the division one side to the high school side to the club side, uh training side, and, and now as a mental performance coach, I work primarily with athletes and teams on how mindset affects performance. Um and so it's kind of interesting, you know, my dad works in the executive coaching world and leadership world. So we still we talked a lot about the uh, the book and ideas and storage for the book and creating the book and now we talk a lot about leadership and culture and all those schemes as well so it's uh you know we're still we're still growing together as a father son relationship as well That's
3: cool So this is the first time we actually had a son and father on at the same time so I'm gonna go ahead and uh, get right to it so Jeff what was it like having Brian
2: as a dad Ooh, um you know, we'll probably get into our story and a and our, our little bit of our book, The Tender Lions. Um, it's interesting because there's kind of three chapters, I would say, from zero to roughly 13, 14, um, where dad was very involved. I looked at him and put him on this pedestal and he had a cape and uh, was very active and did everything we possibly could together. And then, you know, there was this the reason we, we wrote the book of um, family issues and um, a huge dip in our life and probably our relationship, our family relationship. And then, you know, rebuilding this and rekindling this relationship, which is, uh, you know, probably why we wrote the book uh, to get to where it is now. And that was probably about 20, 20 years old. Um, back to you know now i'm 35 to um healthy striving friendship and relationship moving forward so it's, uh, been quite the roller coaster to say the least all
0: right my next question is for brian uh what uh was your favorite stage of development for jeff so let's say uh, from the baby stage to toddler like mm-hmm. you know uh which stage did you enjoy the
1: most that's a really tough question because, <laughs> um, because they're really distinct you know when they're little i'm not trying to dodge your question sir royce but when they're little there's so many fun things that they're learning and developing and you know he's learning how to like hold the ball and say this and play the piano and things of that nature and then there was that he became Jeff was a really fine athlete, uh, grade school, high school, college. So there was a lot of really fun times. Um, and my wife is a very, very fine athlete. She's in the Hall of Fame at Illinois State University for athletics. And wow. so we would, we would go to all kinds of athletic events. So there was a lot of fun and pride in watching that. And uh, Jeff was not the best student. Um, he he would read a book only if he knew that he was going to be forced to. It was going to be on the test. But then when Jeff got to be about like 23 or 24, some spark lit in him about learning. And it was really fun to see that because he started pursuing reading this book, going to that conference, connecting with that guy, that leader, listening to podcasts. And so it was really fun to see him really come into his own and and really get curious about how things work in the world and so uh, maybe now's maybe now's my favorite time with him because you know we used to talk about you know like get your homework done and now we're talking about like wow uh, should we should we sell the condo and buy a house or <laughs> how do I deal <laughs> with my wife on this situation when we really disagree on these things and there's not like a right way through so the conversations are a lot different than they used to be
3: so Jeff like what sparked that I guess that changed was it having getting married and having your first child or were you on that path before um, you know before your wife and your, and your child
2: uh, great question. I think that w- what changed was just um, mentors, role models, people in your life, you know, you, you who you surround yourself with, who you become. And, uh, you know, I was a 22-year-old assistant coach at Northern Illinois University, and there was a guy, crazy guy, but by the name of Sundance Wicks. And uh, Coach Sundance would read on these trips, and he was very kind of philosophical and um, but his energy, his his contagiousness, he was just a magnet to the guys, and I was like, I need to learn, I need to work, and, um, you know, but from him, and you surround yourself with other individuals that just, um, you know, respond to, and it's, it's interesting, because your dad, your dad is definitely that, for me, was that light for me um, initially, and then being in the sports world, you connect with coaches and those captains, those leaders, those guys you look up to as an underclassman. Um, I think those are the ones, my my youth group leader, you know, high school uh, was one of my biggest mentors and honestly changed the trajectory of my life. Um, You know, so it's, I think that's probably why I love what I do so much and I love to give back so much in athletics is because, those were the people that really shaped me, especially when my, my father and my relationship was shaky during those, those times.
1: Mm-hmm. You, you know, one of the things that I saw about, about Jeff when he really got serious about uh, being, being the teacher, being the leader once he graduated from college in sports was that for him, basketball wasn't about teaching kids to win, for him, basketball was about how do you develop character in young kids? And you use basketball as the vehicle to develop character, and so why I was that really was uh, I, for me a, a turning point in in why you do what you do, a real sense of purpose behind that.
0: What was it like for you, Brian, seeing that uh, that light bulb turn on for your son in that moment? Like, uh, like, how did that? How did you? How did you experience that?
1: From your, yeah. your point of view? Well, well, I wanted one. I was proud of him. Uh, two. Uh, I had seen so many parents in the athletic world really over control their kids re- to way too much pressure, way too much living vicariously through a kid. So I kept trying to pull myself back and not be the over controlling parent and let him let him have his own way at that and then try to you know try to be helpful if I could, because I'd Not been down the athletic path. I was not a good athlete. Uh, I was on. I'm a. I'm a musician in my spare time, and so. um, so, But but I was really excited to see him come to light, and so whatever I could do to try to support that, uh, and not be over controlling, uh, let him make his own mistakes. You know, I heard the other day we don't learn from our experiences. We learn from when we reflect on our experiences. Mm -hmm. That's where the real learning comes from, and so. How do I let him have his own successes and failures? And even though I, I'd been down that road before, I, I, let, I wanted to let him do it. Let him do it himself. So I'm pretty. I'm really. I'm really proud of him, and I still am. You know, there are there are days. You know. <laughs> so, you know, I, when Jeff was talking about uh, a mentor to him, a youth a youth director, you guys might know James Brooks. Uh James grew, didn't James grow up in uh, western suburbs and he's now the head of the Lawndale Christian Clinic and uh just really, really strong leader and a guy you may want to interview sometime in the future. I mean, he's really, really a mar- marvelous leader in the in the community in Lawndale and uh, western suburb western side of the city.
0: Yeah, I would love to get familiar. Uh you know, so definitely uh, if you would introduce us, that would be amazing.
1: Yeah. We, we could do that. You know, and I, I think about when um, when so the mini part of my story was when Jeff was a little boy, I had a job where I traveled too much. I worked too much. I partied too much. Um, I got involved in pornography when I was a young kid, totally by accident. And that turned into interesting to obsessive to addiction when I was a young guy. And when the results of all that came spilling out when I was a young dad, it was it was devastating to my wife and to my kids. And um, well, you can ask Jeff what that was like. But I mean that, that was having that um, having that James Brooks as a mentor to Jeff at that time, cause, you know, Jeff did not want to talk to me, but he would talk to, to James. And James didn't know what was wrong, but James knew something was wrong. And it was a safe and confidential place for Jeff to go to. So it was a vital piece of what happens when a when a kid gets angry at a dad or the dad is absentee or abusive or whatever. So
3: I know that you said that um, that you were a young father. Uh Brian, how how old were you when you had your your first job? Uh
1: let's see. I'm 30 years older than Jeff so I'm I was 28 because uh, my daughter's two years older than than Jeff so I was 28. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Okay. So when you um, when you knew that you were becoming a dad did you seek advice on um, like fatherhood and different things like that did you have mentors that you can go to
1: uh, not very much. I um, as a young dad I was I remember having like some inner fear about like, can I make it, can I make a living here? Cause before that, both my wife and I were working. And so she, she, we were blessed that she was home for a couple of years by, I know some families don't have that option and that was really important, but I, I was, I had some fear about, can I make a living? Um, I did have, I did have a couple of really good man friends that were very helpful, a uh, great sounding board, great supporters. Um, Uh, we were also uh, still are involved in a local church and that was an important part for us. So we had some good support networks around us. Um, I didn't, I didn't go to my dad very often for advice. We didn't have hardly any in-depth conversations, uh, my entire life (laughs) until the latter years of life until I was like 45 years old. So I also, at that time, Raheem, I also was like, headed into this addiction and so i was really arrogant i thought i had all the answers already which is pretty typical of anybody that's in an addictive state you know they they're hiding they're shameful and but then they have to pretend like they've got it all together and so i was kind of in that mode as well trying to pretend like i i knew what was going on even though i didn't
0: Uh, what what uh, tools or what um, resources did you use to, uh, to break from that addiction?
1: So there, um, Jeff, you wanna, so I know you asked me the question, but Jeff does a better job of describing this than I do. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I would say from, a, will say, I'll speak on the
2: family perspective. And then you can, if you want to chime in after, but yeah, yeah. In, um, in the book, we call it the three H's, and the three H's for us really consist of, you know, honesty, help, and humility. Honesty, help, humility, and um, I think the big thing for, and and if you look at almost any troublesome situation, um, hard relationship. Um, this seemed to help, really help anybody, I guess, and, and and something that we're going through. But first and foremost, you know, it was this honesty. You know, my dad had to get honest with himself first. You know, he, as he talked about, it, is is he hated the man that he saw in the mirror. And he saw it over and over and over and over again. And so it's, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to change it? Or you just got to kind of live with this? And, uh, you know, my dad said that he would he kind of take this secret to the grave. But for some reason, God whatever, um, told him that he has to be honest. And he has to be honest with himself honest with my, my my mom his wife and then w- was honest with us as a family you know and then that that second h was help you know so honesty and help and help is uh as as a marital couple they had to seek help professional help uh you know uh so they saw counselors or therapists and uh, i think we had to get help as a family on how to have hard conversations uh we had to get help on um you know takes a village to raise a child you know i'm i'm not communicating with my dad at the time, uh, seeking out James Brooks or their mentors and, uh, the village around us, you know, the, the community around us, I think really helped my sister and I, um, and then that third one is humility. So honesty, help and humility. And you know, th- there's no growth when there's, there's this egotistical, um, side to you, right? We have to be humble enough to know that, uh, we're not perfect, that we need to get better, that, um, that there, there is growth, but, the humility side, especially for men, um, that vulnerability to open up and be honest. And, um, you know, so yes, I would say the three H's, the the honesty, help, humility was something that we really uh, fell back on to help us through that those times.
1: Yeah, let me just share just a bit about that. One, the, the honesty part was, when someone's done something that they're really embarrassed about or ashamed of, the tendency is not to go, Oh, Hey, let me tell everybody what's happening. The tendency is to turn inward, to close down. You know, even if like you come home and you see that your kid has like broken a window or something, you go, Hey, they don't, they don't open up like that. They close down. And so we all have that tendency. So it, it took a lot, a lot of, inner voice you know i've got to get honest i've got to get honest but you know how does someone get honest about something that they know that honesty is going to hurt the people they love the most so man that's that is such a battle an inner battle so i thought i'm just going to go to the grave with these secrets and then i realized that you know the addict mind loves those secrets and it just drags you deeper down the the help part um you know, we're relatively smart people, but we had never been down that road before. So uh, my own smarts or lack of it couldn't solve this. I needed outside perspective. And so that was really important. And then the humility part is that when the higher the stress level, the more people tend to like dig in, like try to control what's going on right in front of them. And so humility is so important to not let anger or resentment or revenge you know, if somebody's been unfaithful or somebody's been beaten or experienced trauma, there's that inner part that like wants to get them back. And so humility is really important to keep the emotions low so you can have just normal conversations. And, and Jeff's hit this on the head with, with the vulnerability part. You know, most of us were taught that guys, don't, guys aren't vulnerable. Guys don't cry. Guys don't, you know, there's something there. and vulnerability is essential is essential to getting at the core of these things. So, you know, for, for the dad who's out there or mom who's listening and like, wow, I'm not in a good place, it, be the leader and talk about the uncomfortable. Don't, don't keep, don't keep glossing over because that just makes us softer emotionally. We need to go into the hard places and talk about the hard places. And it's it's okay that actually strengthens our kids when we're willing to talk about the hard things
0: so if you guys can talk about um you mentioned how you guys kind of mended things uh, over time um what's your relationship like today like how how has it evolved since then
1: yeah um let, let me let me share just one point before we go to that sir yeah, royce sure. and that is that when i got honest with my wife and then jeff and his his sister anna i mean they were so angry at me number one they were so angry at me rightfully so ri- righteous anger two they were afraid well my parents get divorced will this become public Will i have to go to a different school well can I stay on this team? You know, all this stuff. And then they were isolated because this when you're, Jeff was 14, this isn't something you go to school and go, hey, listen, this is what's happening in my home. So he was angry, afraid, and alone. And I think that happens to almost every single kid when there are challenges in the home, whether it's lots of arguments, abuse, abandonment, infidelity, whatever. And when dad or mom leaves or whatever, that's the state they go into. And boys experience this much more dramatically, traumatically than girls. When when I can still remember vividly, it was 20 some years ago, when I had that conversation with them, my daughter got up and walked down the street to her best girlfriend's house and poured her heart out to her. Jeff went to his bedroom and slammed the door. So think of the difference when you got something hard happened to you and you can have a safe and confidential place to share it versus i have to carry all this by myself yes yeah. so that's and that's happening all over our country you know roughly a third of kids uh, don't have good relationships with their dads and so that's just happening everywhere and it's you know it breaks our heart when we when we run into those situations so frequently so sorry i didn't answer your question but i thought that was a key point that yeah. so many kids experience that angry afraid and alone thing so so what was the question again <laughs> <laughs> no
0: thanks thanks for sharing that that's a uh, definitely uh important perspective you know to to really get that out there
1: yeah
0: uh so uh, no my question was uh, how how has your relationship evolved uh to this day yeah
2: i would I, I would say it just started with one conversation after another you know and even when i was 14 15 years old and uh, my dad would come back from you know recovery program meetings or whatever and he would just say hey let's have a conversation and hey let's talk and you know it was kind of like he broke the trust you know and I say it to leadership groups and sports teams is that you build trust like you're climbing a ladder one by one but you can you fall off that ladder in one step and he definitely did and so it took us weeks months and years and just Um, consistent experiences, right? That's what, that's what trust is, is is, is shared experiences and shared beliefs. Um, But that took time. And I I think that I probably was, I've I've shared this very little, um, but I remember I was probably 20, 21 years old. It was after a college basketball game and walking out of the locker room. And for some reason, I still remember that he gave me a hug that, he was, I think, a little, like possibly even teary-eyed. And was just like, "I'm so proud of you." And I and I'm, you know, 15 years later, I still remember it. And it was kind of at that moment I still remember, like, I think we're past this. You know, and this was six, seven years after that experience um, that kind of broke all that. But it's it's conversation after conversation, um, being vulnerable, being open, and being honest.
1: I'd come home from recovery meetings and I, and I, when, when you come out of a 12 step meeting, it's like the only place on earth when you can be a hundred percent honest and nobody's going to like wag their finger at you. They're like, come on, bring your story. Keep coming back. Keep telling your story, you know? And I'd go home and I would have, you know, occasionally have conversations with Jeff and he was like, are you just like checking a box off here? Are you supposed to do this? Is this like an assignment? So he was just so skeptical And, and who doesn't, who doesn't after they've been burned go back into the relationship and be very timid about that you know you're not going to just jump run right back in you know that's that's just so against our human nature and i re- i remember it was, it was probably 5 or 6 years before i felt like jeff and i really were back in as good or better place as as before that and with my wife it was a it was at about 3 years before she said i forgive you out loud and so you know there's that thing on the inside that that holds us back from wanting to that once we've been burned, wanting to trust that person a second time. And uh, it's really vulnerable, really raw and really vulnerable in situations like that. But I, I do think that I was intentionally talking about things that I would never have talked to him about before. And I, I wouldn't have known to do that without getting help and talking to counselors. Um, and getting some good advice on just how to be a dad and how to build relationships. And I just didn't know that before. Didn't know I didn't see it in my own dad. Was emotionally, emotionally um he was a hard worker, he was honest, he was faithful to my mom, but he also could be mean as hell. And, and my brother and I felt that, you know, pretty regularly. And so I there was very little real emotional kind of connection to my dad um, when I was a young guy.
3: Do you feel like that played a role in your addiction?
1: Uh, it was a part of it. Um, when I was uh, about Jeff's age, when I was uh, 13, uh, in one my dad was pretty pretty rough. He didn't he wasn't like physically abusive all the time, verbally abusive, frequently once in a while, physically Mm -hmm. abusive. So so I was afraid of him as a kid. That was one thing. Uh, Secondly, when I was about Jeff's age, um, I had an 18 year old sister that died from a from a blood clot. And I was with her alone when she died. And I I couldn't. you know, I couldn't resuscitate her. I I didn't know what to do. I'm this little kid. And I carried a lot of guilt into my young adult days for the death of my sister. Unrealistic, totally unrealistic belief. You know, I mean, if there would have been a team of neurosurgeons there, they weren't going to save her life. But in the back of my head, I had that little voice that said, you could have done something, you should have done something. And I heard that voice until I was 45 years old. And, and, um. Uh, And then the third thing was, so my dad, my sister, and then that's the summer that I discovered pornography completely by accident. And that became my safe place. I'd go there to numb out. I'd go there to fantasize and escape the hard emotional stuff. And I I don't blame those things for me becoming an addict, but they were certainly part of the equation. And then I started making a lot of bad decisions along the way a lot of bad decisions along the way. And I have, I have to own that.
3: So Jeff, um, so I know you talked about trust. Um, and with that, like it comes, um, I guess, grace as well to restore that relationship. How did you find grace for for your dad? To even, was it like him showing effort to try to, you know, restore it? Or how, how was
2: it for you? Yeah, great question. Um, Effort, but the word I'd I'd put in front of that is consistent effort. Um, You know, I think that um, trust is uh, very, I think everyone wants trust, but no one knows really how to build trust. Um, You know, and and I say it with my sports team all the time, is everyone wants this strong culture and strong behaviors and strong trust but how do we do that? You know, and and it takes time and it, and, um, shared experiences and consistency and all of that is really hard. Um, it's hard to be consistent. It's hard to, to, um, build it, but, you know, again, brick by brick conversation by conversation, month after month, year after year. Um, I think my dad just kept showing up and kept being consistent. Um, after that, I don't remember many, um, uh many times where we butted heads unless you know i got in trouble because i was a knucklehead and i got caught <laughs> I probably shouldn't have done but that's not me
1: right so you know, um, yeah. go ahead Dan. yeah you know everybody uses the fr- everybody i'm exaggerating but many people use the phrase you have to earn trust uh, but you know what i think that's a uh paradox i think you if you just have to give it sometimes it and it's risky you know he jeff at some point had to go okay whether whether I totally believe him or not, I got to let him back into my life. And he did come to me at some point and said, I'm still really mad at you because I you hurt my mom. And, but he said, I know why you got honest with us. Cause he said, there's no way you could ever have integrity if you hadn't gotten honest about this. And that was a huge breakthrough moment for Jeff and I. And um, he, don't, I don't even think Jeff remembers that conversation, but I remember the conversation because it was, he was one of the first people in my circle of people that I really loved who was like, okay, I'm still mad at you, but I get why you did what you did. I get why you, I get why you had to get honest about this. So, and that's hard. That's really hard. But that hardest day of my life was probably the most important day of my adult life outside of the day Jeffrey was born. <laughs>
0: So Jeff, this question is for you. So, um, what kind of dad are you now? Like, what you, you're seven months in. So, how would you describe yourself as a as a father?
2: Uh, work in progress.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, no, but you know, it's it's interesting. And just it, we actually wrote a chapter in the book called uh, "Overly Competitive Parents." You know, I've since I've been in the sports world, and the basketball world for, you know, as a coach for almost twenty years now. Um, I've seen it all. I've heard it all. I've experienced it all, Um, you know, from um, fathers cussing at their parent, uh, cussing at their kid from directly behind the bench to taking them off the bench to a kid wanting to commit suicide because of the pressures to a kid punching the, you know, throwing a chair because he's so frustrated because of the pressures and the expectations from what's behind him in the stands. Um, So I think I, I just through me and my own father's experience to me seeing worst case scenarios um, and learning just what a leader and a role model is, um, I would say what I strive to be is present. Uh, what I strive to be is um, not a role, I, I don't wanna be a role model, I wanna be the example in, in, in anything and everything that I do. Um, and that I think that exactly, let's go back to that word consistency. Um, if I can be present, Um, and I can live by example, lead by example, Um, the rest will take care of itself. And I'm I'm excited to see kind of where our our friendship and relationship blossoms with it. And no, I am not ever coaching his basketball team. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: You mentioned being present. If we had to do a family feud, we've done uh, over a hundred interviews. That would be the number one answer. Is being present is uh it's, it's a big one like I'm not just uh giving the kid the tablet like actually sitting down with them like and seeing what they're doing and looking at them and talking to him about it like hey what's that for like, <laughs> mm-hmm. like being there like not just uh talking about being there you know what I'm saying yeah. it's, it's a difference
1: yeah I think I think the, the uh the iPhone or the PDA or whatever you want to call it I think that's one of the greatest gifts and one of the greatest challenges to parents today is knowing how to use it for good and knowing when to take it away so so you can so that you can really be present because i can't be present when i'm looking at texts or social media or whatever with my wife or my kids or grandkids and i know that they can't be present with me and the research is really pretty significant about how too much social media really sort of dulls our ability to even even have an emotional connection that's that's real so how do you how do you do that because it's not going away it's just not going away so how do you raise your kid in a world where they have to use technology and the more they use it the more that it can actually you know pull them away from you emotionally by the way our research co- clearly clearly shows that when dads don't have a strong emotional connection to their kids that's when that's one of the key contributors to when the risk factors pop up in the kids life mm-hmm. It, moms are incredibly important. Grandmas, grandpas are incredible. Boy. But the dad is the biggest uh, of the equation. If the dad doesn't have the emotional connection, that's the, the the main causative thing for the risk factors that pop up in kids' lives.
0: Very
1: interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when so, we, when, go ahead.
3: Uh, I was just gonna say like what, um, I know you you posed the question, but uh, what do you think that the answer is? Like, how, how do you raise a child? Um, I guess, to be connected in the technological
1: world. I, I was fortunate in that there was no such thing as a PDA when Jeff was little. Mm-hmm. There, I got my very first gigantic computer when Jeff was probably, uh, well, there were computers, but there there were no games to play on it. There was no... They, were, they weighed 80 pounds. You, it's not like you put it in your pocket. <laughs> so, Jeff, what, what do you think? How do you, how do you, is there a formula?
2: Uh, formula, I think, is just with anything is, and again, I'm learning from you guys because you guys have older kids than I do, but um, boundaries, just like anything else. Boundaries, um, honest communication about why this is important, why this is not important. Um, but also being I think open to discussion and not just being the dictator as well. And let them I'm actually reading a, a really interesting book. Um I just started it. Oh man, I'm gonna blank on it now. So never mind, pass on this one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so so I wanna I wanna I wanna add to what Jeff is saying, and this is something I actually was thinking about this afternoon. Um, the, the chapter, by the way, Jeff and I are both Christians, so that's part of what influences our thinking. And chapter two in the book is called "Imago Dei." And if you grew up in the church, you might have heard that phrase. It's a little Latin phrase, but it literally means like "made in the image and likeness of God." So, if if one believes that they're made in the image and likeness of God, then we're not God, but but God God like attributes with brilliance, and emotions, and heart, and strength, and the ability to judge, and that sort of thing as well. So, But God says to us, you're mine, you're in my family, because I gifted it to you. I gave it to you. And you can't do anything to mess that up. And God gives us grace. And so if I can raise my kids to believe that they're mine, because they're in the family, and they can't do anything about that. And I have to give them grace over and over and over again. So it's unconditional. Then the the child doesn't have to think, I have to compete. I have to get good grades. I have to make a big salary. I have to get into the right college. I have to have a big following in social media because all of that's Mm performance-based. And as soon as you're the best, somebody will knock you off of that little mountain. you know. And then so you're constantly striving for more and to do more and to be better. And that's an endless path. That's an endless path. Everything becomes performance based instead of like, it's just a gift, it's a gift. And so if if I can give Jeff a hint of that imago day, uh, where he doesn't have to feel like he has to perform to be loved, we've taken a huge step in the right direction, huge step. Hmm. And that's very counterculture, very counterculture.
3: That's a great answer, I, I like that. That's a real good one, Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: No, go ahead. Yeah, uh, chapter question? two. <laughs> <laughs> my next question for you, Brian, is uh, what type of grandfather are you?
1: Um, well, I don't know if I'm a good grandpa or a bad grandpa, but I can <laughs> tell you this: when my granddaughter was born almost five years ago. I felt like I found a spot in my heart that I did not know that I had. I mean, I love my kids and I love my wife, but when that granddaughter was born, I just melted. And uh, I have an amazing relationship with my granddaughter. Um, The time we spend together, um, um, I'm totally not biased either, (laughs) you know, And when I see little Bo Bo Becker, my grandson, uh, my heart just melts, and I just I just want to be around him and hug him and try to prop him up. And you know, um, I also know that I um, there's a lot on the line right now. You know, I've been in recovery for 22 years, and I know that if that weren't in my life. I wouldn't be married i wouldn't have a relationship it would be a terrible relationship with my kids i wouldn't have a strong relationship with my grandchildren so there's a lot riding on my ability to just follow my values and to to do what i need to do there and if i can do that so many other things in my life just fall in line and so um uh uh, you know, I'm I hope I'm a good grandpa. I'm, I'm trying and I don't want to be overly controlling either. I try to give Jeff and and my daughter very little advice on how to parent. I did give you some advice yesterday, didn't I? <laughs> and then I said, OK, I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> so because, you know, I'm always going to be his dad. There's actually a chapter in the book that's called When Are You Done Being a Dad? And I'm probably never going to be done being his dad. But I've, the, the advice that I give him is a lot different now than it was when he was 12, you know.
3: Have you have you two ever, um, have you ever played basketball against each other? Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh yes.
2: Go ahead, tell the story.
1: Well, when he was little, he, he could throw a baseball 70 miles an hour and he could shoot three-pointers when he was you know in 6th grade and he's 66 six, by the way he doesn't look 66 six on zoom but he is and he's built like a navy seal and so at one point we were playing basketball in the driveway and he said dad i remember when i became faster than you i remember when i could throw all harder than you now i can outshoot you he goes you know the only thing you've got on me now is weight mm so and i'm like well thanks a lot i'm <laughs> uh, so way more than you do you know so but yeah we we've we spent countless hours uh in the driveway and in the backyard and in the park throwing the ball uh, catching you know uh i wasn't a great athlete but funda- i had really good fundamentals and so like you know how do you get the ball to follow you know that sort of thing and so of course, my wife would take credit for that because she's actually the real the real athlete. So what do you think about that, Jeff?
2: Yeah, she, she's the athlete. She is the athlete, athlete for sure. Yeah. Um, but she was also a lot more crazy on the sidelines than you were. So,
0: <laughs> I had to the, yeah, the, the, the crazy mom screaming and yelling. <laughs> <laughs>
1: she, would, you know, she would yell at the coach too.
0: Oh, man.
1: Because she'd be like, why are you in a zone? You should be in a man-to-man, you know, college coach. She's yelling, you know, from the stands she was right too <laughs> so so jeff tell me like the your uh the burger story
2: yeah so there's one of the chapters is called uh time matters you know and and it's just i think that's one of the most important things with any father son or anyone that would ask us for advice is that time matters and i i go back to always tell the story of you know the seven minute story and here I'm 35. I remember this 20 plus years later, 25 years later is, you know, my dad would cook burgers on the grill for dinner whatever. And I know I had, he put the patty on the grill. He would set that timer for seven minutes before he had to flip the burger over. And then those seven minutes were like the most important seven minutes of my life. I had seven minutes to shoot hoops, play horse, play catch, throw the football, play baseball, whatever it was. Like I was this 10 year old, just boy, just like, so excited to have seven minutes, and then the time would go off, flip the burgers, seven more minutes to just have that undivided attention with my dad, right? And, and I, that's, if there's one thing that I would tell any father is time matters.
1: Mm-hmm. There, there's a single mom that lives across the street from us and she has she has one little boy and he's, he's a great little kid, but a couple of weeks ago, his dad, they they, they don't live together. But dad was there and they were playing catch out in the front yard. I've never seen that boy happier. I've never seen him more engaged. Mm -hmm. And I just had to like say to the dad, you're doing something really, really important today. You know, just it doesn't have to be a football, but just that time, that time that you're with him, man, he's going to he's that's going to sink into him. It's going to make an impression on him because it's not about learning how to throw a football. It's him learning that you love him. You care about him, and you're willing to give from your schedule to to be be with him, and they re- that's what that's what really matters.
0: How was that seven minutes for you, Brian? Like, what did you uh, get during that time?
1: I can remember many days going in the house and saying to my wife, "My shoulder hurts so bad. I <laughs> threw I threw a hundred fly balls today in the backyard." and i'm not kidding i'm not kidding and and then when he learned how to throw a 70 mile hour fastball my my palm hurt so bad from catching i'd sit on a bucket in the driveway and he'd throw fastballs but i you know i'm just like he loves doing it and yeah and at that time i was still in my addiction so i was having this constant jekyll and hyde moments of like i i want to be a good dad and i'm not a good dad so whenever i had those opportunities I really wanted to make them make them count because I did not know at that point where my life was going to where my life was going to end up. So make them count. It's ne- never too late, never too late to take the first step in the right direction for anybody listening to this. And that could be you might be 50 and your dad might be 75, and maybe you're the son that needs to take the step in the right direction because your dad won't take the step back to you. So never too late to take the first step. How, and I want how, I want to interview you guys. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. That <laughs> <laughs> could be another That
0: could be a good one. We could do that.
1: Okay.
3: <laughs> yeah. Right. I was just gonna ask, like, how um how how did you and your wife how how were you all able to like reconcile things? Because it seems like relationships not really mm-hmm. built like that anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. the first thing, you know, first sign of trouble, I'm out of here, you know, things like yeah. that. Um, well,
1: yeah, how were you all Let's do it? So she had she had friends that said, "Leave him, divorce him," mm-hmm. and I really think that to this day, I've been married thirty nine years, by the way, and there was about three years in the middle that I just didn't know what was going to happen from one day to the next, mm-hmm. and I really believe that it was about four or five of her good Christian lady friends who surrounded her, listened to her, and 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 spoke some truth into her and they were saying don't make this important of a decision when you're so angry it's like if you're in the fire you cannot think about fire safety all you can think about is get out of the fire you know so you need some time you need some space and they were they were marvelous in reminding her that she needed time and space and um i love my in-laws and her, my wife's brothers and all, but they are a family that knows how to hold a grudge. They're really good at that. It's, it's like in their DNA. And so she hung on to that anger for a long, long time. And about three years into this, she finally came to me one day and she said, I know I have to forgive you and I do forgive you. And she said, let me tell you, she said, I thought by not forgiving you, I could get back at you. There was like this inner like resentment thing that was was there. And she said, I re- this is a really key part about forgiveness and why it's so important. She goes, I realized that my not forgiving you was holding me in place, not you. Because I was had been getting counseling, had been going to recovery meetings, journaling and hanging out with the right kind of people. And I was emotionally moving forward and like kind of like thawing out. And then she could see that and she's like, wow, he's, he's going to stay on this path. And so um, that was a huge breakthrough moment for, for us and for her to be able to, you know, because that was that's huge vulnerability, huge risk to say, I forgive you. And she also said, I'm not sure I want to stay married yet, but that came a little later. That came a little later. So forgiveness is really for the person that's been wounded it's not for the person that's done the bad thing so and that's hard hard for most people to get their head around if they haven't been in a situation like that um, but i needed to like jeff used the word consistent i needed to demonstrate day in day out day in day out that i was serious about changing my life and uh and i still am <laughs> so
3: how did you maintain your patience for her? I guess waiting for her forgiveness because you know sometimes it'll be like, um, yeah, you know it's,
1: it's been two years. You still, on yeah. that you still talking yeah. about that. So I I continue to go to counseling
3: mm-hmm.
1: regularly, going to recovery meetings regularly, which is a great place to be able to like let the let, let the emotion of that go to see yourself accurately if you're holding on to resentments or anger or whatever. And I was at that time uh, thinking, one, because my counselor, who also did some counseling with my wife, he said to me, he says, I don't think she's ever going to forgive you. And so thankfully, he was wrong. (laughs) But but he said, in my experience, because of her own family history and that, she could just hold on to this. And then you're going to have to decide if you want to leave Or you want to stay in a relationship that will continue to have like a contempt under the surface, which will smolder. And you're going to feel that resentment all the time. And I had resigned myself that if she hadn't forgiven me, that I couldn't I couldn't stay in the relationship. Um, And uh, by the grace of God, uh, it did happen. You know, I, I love it when marriages work, but not every marriage should work. I know that that's like some people would like go crazy about that, but it takes two people to want to be in the relationship. And if somebody's been really dishonest or harming, unfaithful, and they're not repentant, then there there is no hope for a really healthy relationship in the, in the long term. So, um, yeah. How Good long question.
0: have you been married, uh, Brian?
1: Uh, 39 years. Wow. Yeah. 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 I'm a fan of marriage. So, yeah. Yeah. My dad and mom were married 59 years before my mom passed away about 10 years ago. So, and my wife's parents have been married 65 years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Talk about yeah. a lifetime. <laughs> yeah. 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 We we stick it out in our family. <laughs> well, you know, my faith background, my faith background says you you said I do for the rest of your life, and, and you messed it up. Now go make it right, make it right, and and uh, God God blessed that um, that commitment. And um, uh, there was a healing that happened in that in that forgiveness that I really think was miraculous because I'm not sure that either one of us like humanly <laughs> possessed what it took to rebuild that relationship. And and we have a, it's not perfect by any means, but it's a pretty dang good marriage. And she's awesome. a great grandma. She's an amazing grandma. <laughs> she's over, she's right now, she's watching Bowen right now <laughs> with Jeff, with Jeff's wife.
3: So you're in Arizona?
2: I am. Sonny Scott's, though.
0: Yeah.
1: You, and you we're visiting same, 77 down there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <grabbing dear>. it. <laughs> it
0: was actually 55 in Chicago, so it wasn't, you know as not bad, bad. But, you know not bad yeah <laughs> <laughs> how long have you been married jeff
2: three years now
0: three, three years. okay yeah so still newlyweds technically in the still grand
2: scheme learning <laughs> so, developing, growing and getting yeah it's it's amazing you know um you think you know everything you need to know about your wife at the marriage and i'm learning more and loving it more with keep peeling back those onion layers you know and, and finding out more about ourselves and, and each other as this unit as this team over the years it just kind of gets better and better i think
1: so so jeff i noticed you've got a couple like how to be a good dad kind of books on the shelf how is being a dad different than you thought it was going to be
0: It's mm, good. Yeah. um you
2: know they say that that a kid changes you, it definitely changes you. I just think it spotlights who you already are. I think it spotlights all of the um, insecurities and weaknesses and emotional instabilities you have. Like I realized I'm a control freak. I realized that, um, you know, I want things done my way and I'm very type A and structured and disciplined and scheduled out. And um, But I think it just magnifies who you already are. Um, you know, and then in those sleepless, stressless or stressful arguments with your wife, things trigger you much faster than they did, you know, a few years ago. So, um, if you have the awareness and the self-reflection aspect, um, I think it only makes you better in those ways. Hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: So, so, well, I'll interview him another time. This is, this is your, this is your show. So.
0: But, uh, well, we can, we can do it that way. So Jeff, if you had to ask your dad, any question, uh, what, what's a good question, uh, for your Man. dad to ask your dad in this, in this moment right now, you had to think
2: of one. all of the interviews and podcasts we've been a part of no one's ever asked. Me. Um, <laughs> here's a good one that I like to ask is knowing what you know now, what would you do differently?
1: well knowing what i know now Mm -hmm. i would have sought i would have sought counseling as a as a teenager i would have sought that out because i had a like a arrested development from the trauma when my sister died and and how that all rolled out that i didn't know until i was in my mid-40s and so that i think that would have changed my life significantly about how i dealt with Hard emotions and addiction and that sort of thing. Um, I, and so that would have been one thing I would have done very differently. I would have been more honest and more brave about the, the issues that I was dealing with way early on, way early on. That being said, if all of those bad things hadn't happened in our family, Jeff and I never would have written Tender Lions. We wouldn't have this opportunity to talk with <clears throat> dads and their dads and their kids all over the place. And on my best days, I am actually grateful for those those hard things because that prepared us to to have a platform to talk to dads about how darn important this is to to step forward and be strong and be vulnerable. And that's the that's where the, the title Tender Alliance came from, that paradox between strong and soft and tough and tender, and knowing when you need to be one and knowing when you need to be the other to be an effective dad and husband and Mm-hmm. Or just just a man in the community, you know.
3: With is your dad still around? Is he still with us?
1: My dad died six years ago when he was ninety two. He was born in the twenties, depression, depression, World War Two vet. I'm sixty five, so I know I look much younger. I was.
3: Yeah, I was going to ask you, Brian, Um, well, pretty much the same question. If you could ask your dad any any question, what, what would it be?
1: I'd love to know. <clears throat> well, I'd love to know. I, I know why he was such an honest, hardworking guy, because he got that from his dad. But I would love to know where his anger came from, because I, I can't figure that one out. And man, he was verbally hard on my sister and my brother and my mom and I, um, in spite of being you know, very honest and very hardworking and very generous guy. But I, I, I would love to say, try to figure out why, why so much anger. And um, uh, I, I just, I could never figure that one out. So,
0: yeah. Did he ever talk to you about the war? What was that like? Uh,
1: not until his late, late years. Um, he was very private about it. And when it would come up, he would almost always get tearful and, and just not want to go there. Um, it was, a, he his brother, uh, had, uh, was in Pearl Harbor and it was a very, very violent thing that his brother experienced and lived through. And it affected his brother tremendously in, mm-hmm. in his life. And so but it wasn't until later in my dad's life that he talked about that. And, uh, and Jeff and I actually took him to Washington, DC, uh, and uh, spent a weekend, you know, looking at the the war memorials. And and we just had a, it was the last couple of years he was alive. It was really a beautiful experience for all three of us to be able to, to do that. And in those last few years, my dad and I were able to talk about a lot of the really hard stuff that had happened years earlier. And that was a real blessing to be able to have some healing, healing between he and I about some really difficult things earlier in our life. So never too late to take that step. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you guys for definitely uh, opening up and you know sharing your story. This is uh, you know, stuff that uh, us as men we need to talk more about because uh, you know a lot of men out there are, are struggling and holding on to a lot of stuff that may have happened to them or, or that they're currently doing, and um, yeah, it's okay to talk about it. So, uh, you know, definitely thank you for for opening up and, and sharing uh, sharing this. Um, uh, I would say, uh, my next question to both of you is, uh, uh, since you've written the book, like how did, how did that, uh, help, uh, mend your relationship? Did that help bring you guys closer, uh, or even closer than, uh, you, you uh, imagine?
2: I'll start with oh, that. Man. Um, I think, you I think it was, at first I was, he was like, we should write a book and all these experiences and stories and how to. You know, if we could rewrite time, what would we do differently? And I was like, no one's going to read this. No one's going <laughs> to Um, this. But it, once we kind of got, he got got me on the same page, Um, you know, it took us two, almost three years from first idea to publish, you know. So for three years, we spoke 5x, 10x more than we did, you know, in my 20s. My um, early 20s, by mid, mid to late 20s, because we were talking about stories and ideas and strategy, and then it was actually being published, and it's like, okay, we have a published book, but what do we do now? And so there was just, you know, we we would talk, and we talked about this actually just the other day before, you know, before I had uh, our son, um you know, we still talk about all the different strategies and ideas and growing this business side of the of the book, so. Um, it's not like we talked about some things were just checking in, but then it was also pretty cool to just remember stories, bounce ideas off each other. And obviously that, that led into other conversations just in passing, I think over the last, you know, five to eight years now.
1: Yeah. I, I remember us actually sitting at some coffee shop in Phoenix, like six years ago or whatever, and this was when we had decided that we were going to work on the book. And we just talked for hours about, like, if we could wind the clock back and raise you all over again, what are those most important things? And that that's what ended up for, forming the chapters, the different, the different themes from the chapters. And so we had to have really in-depth conversation about those really important things, which was just a gift to me. And uh, I know now that I need to, like, back off a little bit because Jeff's got to raise his son and he needs to be a good wife a good husband to his wife and make a living and all of that and i i want more time but it's not my time to have more time you know he wasn't married then and so um, uh so that was important uh, there is there's probably a tender lines too in the future though i think that there's there's reason to have a second book
3: All right, so I know we're getting close to time. Um, if you could give advice to any new father, just a father in general, and this for both of you all, um, what would it
2: be? Um, I'll go first. Um, I would say, you know, kind of circling what I've said a lot of is time matters, you know, and I've, I've kind of already told the seven-minute burger story. Um you know, but the, the intentionality, the uh, eliminating of distractions, the presence, being present. Um, it, because the thing is, I'm 35 years old and I still remember my dad putting you know, burgers on the grill 25 plus years ago. And I remembered vivid as day. And probably he doesn't remember a majority of those times. Um, you know, so for a six to ten year old for me to remember that 25 plus years later I think speaks volumes to that time truly matters for any father son Mm
1: -hmm. and and I would say that um, raising a boy to be a man is way too important to lead to chance and there are a lot of kids that are being it's that's happening by chance and so dads need to not be afraid to dig into their Dark side into their shadow side and uncover that difficult stuff. And that to some people like to get counseling or whatever, it might sound like weakness. I think the guy who's willing to get counseling is brave and smart. You know, I, um, I, when I finally got the courage to uncover a lot of that dark stuff in my life, I found that the seeds to the new life were in the dark all along. And I'd been trying to avoid all of that. And so, uh, and and that allowed me to talk to smart people to get connected to the right kind of people who could you know give me good advice. And so don't be afraid to reach out, whether that's a counselor or a pastor or a neighbor or you know, a college friend or a high school friend or whatever who's got their feet clearly, or a grandpa who has their feet clearly on the ground. And women are women are so important in this world. But but kids need their dads. And if the dad is not in the picture, then how do you how do you bring how do you bring other good men around them, around those kids? So, so that way they can see that, see it model, not just have someone tell them that it's important to be a good man, but they can see it in their life. And that has nothing to do with politics, race income religion (laughs) It's about being a good being a good man and doing what's important for that for that kid and for society
0: that's good stuff so i have two last questions so uh the first one is uh for you brian is uh what's your favorite game that you've seen uh, jeff play
1: my the favorite one the favorite one um it's a toss-up between when the head coach from hope college came to watch him play to recruit him and jeff had some amazing like off the screen three-point shots swish 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 and the head coach looked at me and went i want jeff at hope college <laughs> i still <laughs> remember that i still remember that and um and also, when he was just a little guy, like maybe seventh or eighth grade, um, him pitching extremely well, hitting the cover off the ball, playing shortstop and, like, scooping up fast, hard line drives, and just watching him just have total fun, total fun with his friends out there and no pressure. Uh, just He was just in his element, you know, like um, – so he you know, anyhow it,
0: uh, <laughs> do you remember that game, Jeff? You okay
1: it was that it was that Iliana Christian down in Lansing Oh,
3: boy. and the,
1: and the coach came down, drove over to watch you play, and he wanted you, and then he then he went somewhere else. so
0: <laughs> and uh, the flip side to that question, Jeff, what's one of the games where you remember seeing your dad in the stands, like mm-hmm. one of the, one of those ones?
2: You know, I don't think I can think of anything specific, but I can think of uh, – I went to school at Augustana College. It was on the western tip of Illinois in the Quad Cities. about two-and-a-half, three-hour drive. We would play every – I think conference games were every Wednesday, Saturday, and they made almost every Wednesday game. And if I think about it now, I'm like, we played at 7.30 p.m., you know, and college games last – two hours game gets done at nine 30. They would wait for us to have our call, you know, our talk in the locker room, probably shower up, come out of the locker room. So it's 10 o'clock at night, just for them to give us a quick hug, say hello, hopefully give me a, slip me a $20 bill, maybe in college, Um, (laughs) then drive drive home for three hours and then go, go to work at, you know, wake up at six 30 in the morning. And they, I don't remember them missing almost any games in my four years, whether I played or not. Um, so that's what I remember most. I don't remember anything specific. I just remember the, again, the commitment. Uh,
0: yeah. of yeah. It's that's amazing to me. All right. And uh, my final question to the both of you is um, what does fatherhood uh, mean to you?
1: Should ask us that last week, so we could think about that one a little bit. The,
2: the first word I thought of was everything. Um, everything, in fact, of um, you know, he's. You're going to be his first superhero. And, um, you're going to be his first role model. You're going to be his first Michael Jordan, uh, and so. Um, I think that everything that – he's going to have a lot of memories, whether good or bad, his behaviors are going to be shaped, whether good or bad, because of you. And um, that's, uh, I'm extremely excited for that challenge and because I think it's going to be the greatest, hardest um, game I've ever played and I'm, I'm super excited for what's about to whole uphold for me. i so. say
1: For me, fatherhood is, it is one of the most important pieces. If you look at what holds the fabric of society together, it's one of the most important pieces of the puzzle. That's also one of the most missing pieces right now. And not many people are paying attention to it like you guys are. So we applaud you we support you we want you to be successful in the work that you're doing and we we know from our family experience and we know from all the research we've done that fatherhood or fatherlessness is a key component of what causes kids to struggle and 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 when when boys aren't strong and they don't become strong men then families family struggle so fatherhood fatherhood is just absolutely key to the to the uh, health, not only that one boy, but then how that moves itself into the broader society, and so whatever we can do to help, support, uh, provide structure, motivation to that. I mean, it's just absolutely, uh, absolutely vital to to our to our society.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that.
3: And. Um, I don't know if he was going to say something. <laughs> no, <laughs> go
0: ahead,
3: <laughs> bro. You got it. Go ahead. <laughs> right. um, you know, before we get out of here, I just want to thank you, too. Um, Like I said earlier, this is the first time that we had, like, a father and son at the same time uh, in an interview. And um, I just appreciate, like, you all's honesty and um, your ability to, you know, be vulnerable with each other and to open up and be candid about, you know, the past and how you all were able to Overcome those challenges and everything. So I, I appreciate that.
2: Absolutely. So that's what that's what someone asked us once, why did you write it? And I think our first response was to change one relationship. That's it. One father son relationship. We know we've done our job. So we're probably still in the hole and we're probably still in the red and <laughs> we've made money off this. So we might as well ask why I was doing it, right?
1: Yeah. But we'll, we'll go anywhere and talk to anybody about. It anytime about this and so feel free to you know if, if you find an organization or a church or a workshop or whatever media that wants to talk about father-son issues we're uh, we're all in but are we are we still being taped by the way
0: yes we're about we're about oh, to wrap okay. it up
1: okay right now right.
0: Uh, sorry but before we do i want to give you guys the floor to, to uh you know tell people where to find you you have to give people a link or uh, you know, a place to go where would you send them yeah
2: go ahead Jeff. Uh, yeah, everything on, on our social media is just at Tenderlines book. Um, and you can you can email us. I mean, the, uh, our website is tenderlines.org and uh, email us info at tenderlines.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, but everything is pretty much at tenderlines book or tenderlines.org. You can find all, you know, from inquiries of, you know, speaking engagements to blogs to well, everything on there. Yeah,
1: and the book is on Amazon and, So and if somebody wants to, like, purchase a whole bunch of them for a conference or something, then they should contact us directly and we could work a work a really nice reduced rate for them uh, to be able to do that. So, yeah.
0: awesome. And uh, Dr. Young, I know uh, we've kind of been having a tradition that we've been having great interview after great interview, but I would definitely qualify this as uh, we we used to call it Hall of Fame, but now we we switched it to uh, Hall of Fathers, so. I would, I would uh, like to qualify this as a Hall of Fathers episode, Doctor Young. Do you concur? Oh yeah, I second that. I second. <laughs> that. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you, thank so you. So if Talk I had
0: to hang two jersey numbers up in the rafters, what numbers would uh, would I be hanging up?
1: Twenty-five. Twenty-five.
0: 25.
1: That's a good. One. What? Uh, 65, because I'm 65 years <laughs> old. Hey, that's a good number, too. Nobody has that number, I don't think.
0: All, not <laughs> all right, well, so for, my, for myself, for Sir Royce Griales, for my prestigious co host, Dr. Ryan Young, and also for our special guests, father and son, Brian and Jeff Becker. Thanks again for listening to Welcome to Father interviews, and stay tuned for further announcements.